a lot of the systems themselves are not working in ways that they did before the pandemic. You, if you have been arrested a bunch of times, you might have found yourself in a collaborative court in some sort of reentry program. None of those things are happening. From Stanford University and SiriusXM, this is Stanford Legal. I'm Richard Thompson Ford. And I'm Joe Bankman. Today we're talking with San Francisco supervisor and Stanford Law School alum, Matt Haney, about the challenges of homelessness and crime and controversy surrounding the San Francisco School Board. Matt was one of my students in local government law many years ago, and Back then, I would use San Francisco as an example of a lot of issues facing local governments. But today, you know, San Francisco has kind of become a poster child for the problems of big cities. Um, uh, for some people, it's a poster child for the failures of liberal and progressive government. Um, it's homelessness. It's crime. All of these things. And um, and, and you know, Matt's talked to us about a lot of those issues today and how they're sometimes a bit more complicated than what's been portrayed in the media. That's right. And what's interesting, Rich, is that at the same time San Francisco has become, as you say, the poster child of what's wrong with the city. Actually, in many ways, it's never been that so successful. Its tax revenues are up. It's attracted a lot of the leading new country companies in the country, like Twitter. Uh, it's resplendent in some parts, and uh, full of the tents of the homelessness in other parts. Yeah, it's really kind of epitomizes the divisions of wealth in our society um, for, and, and, you know, with all of the, uh, the, the glittering sides and all of the really grim sides. And Matt's a leading force in the city and uh, someone we've had on the show before. Yeah, he's always great to talk to. Matt, you know, a lot of people are going to listen to this. They're going to say, wait, that guy's running for something. Why isn't this program mentioning that? And it is true you're running for another office. Stanford is is not the the party that wants to take a position on a candidate. And we're not going to have other candidates here. We plan to talk to you as a follow-up from our earlier conversations on homelessness and COVID and education policy in San Francisco. So for our listeners here, that's what this podcast is about. Sounds fair to me. I talk enough about the other uh, stuff, so I'm happy happy to talk about these things as well. Well, the image that you hear in some of the media is San Francisco is the example of everything that's wrong with liberals. It's got a huge homelessness problem. It's got a giant crime problem. They're spending billions of dollars a year. The problems aren't getting fixed. So let's start with homelessness. It's a big homelessness problem in San Francisco. What do you see as the biggest challenges and what's the city doing? San Francisco is definitely a place that people have a lot to say about, (laughs) (laughs) especially lately. And some, some of that I think is intentional. It's it's uh, part of a larger sort of political strategy around the country. And some of it is very unfair. You know, we have a lot of problems and challenges here that are similar to what most cities have and problems and challenges that have gotten worse during the pandemic. And we've had to shut down most of our city for long periods of time. 
Many of our bigger sectors have been deeply impacted. You know, the offices aren't open, tourism and conventions aren't happening. So some of those problems that we have, including homelessness, get a bit more visible and in some cases more, more serious. And that's what's happened in San Francisco. We've, we've had a, a homelessness challenge for a long time. Actually, you know, this is a problem that uh, has gotten worse in other parts of California, more so than in, in San Francisco. And anyone who lives in L.A. or Sacramento or Oakland would probably tell you that their their challenges with homelessness is as bad as anywhere else, in, including in San Francisco. We are doing a lot of things and helping a lot of people. And it's not enough because more and more people become homeless and people come to San Francisco or they're you know displaced locally because of the cost of housing here. So I think that we did learn some things over the, throughout the pandemic. We did learn that if you give people a place to go indoors where they have their own room and some services, food, that the overwhelming majority of people will accept that. And so we were able to have some success with shelter in place hotels. Uh, you know, we had these hotels that weren't being used for tourism that we were able to get thousands of people off the streets. And, and when we offered them to people on, on the streets, they went. So I think there's a lot of hope as well, but there's, you know, the problem that we've had with homelessness has gotten worse because of some of the challenges associated with the pandemic. Matt, I know last time we talked, you did something that I thought was kind of amazing when you sponsored legislation or plans to open up unused hotels for the homeless. You served as a night manager there for a while. Uh, are you still doing it? Was that a short-term thing? Tell us a retrospective of, of that experience. I did it for, it was a relatively short-term thing. I did it for a few weeks when they had shortages and we were trying to get a lot more hotels open. And they told me that, well, we, we don't have enough staff to, to operate these hotels. We have enough hotels. There were, you know, most of our hotel rooms in the city were empty. And yet we still had thousands of people on the streets. And the federal government was paying for it. So I said, well, we got the resources. We got the hotels. Let's get people in. And they said, well, we don't have, have enough people to work at the hotels. And I said, well, how can I help? And they said, well, you could go work at one. And I said, OK, so sign me up. <laughs> so uh, ultimately, we were able to get people to go in and, and, and staff them adequately. My concern about what happened during that time is that we did, at an unprecedented level, grow our placements available with these hotels. We brought in thousands of people. We had the federal government for the first time basically being willing to reimburse us at 100% for anyone that we wanted to bring inside. We had you know, hundreds of empty hotels that we could have used, you know, thousands across California. And yet even with that, most cities and counties didn't do much at all, didn't even take up the opportunity. And San Francisco did some, but we didn't go nearly as far as, as we could have. And I think that's, you know, you learn the lesson that there are resources available that you can use, but also that there's something about sort of the lack of willingness to step up to a challenge that a bureaucracy sort of self-limits. You know, they say, this is, this is only how much we can handle. Even if we give you everything you need to solve homelessness, they don't want to take it on and they sort of place limits on themselves. And that is also, you know, there's some hope in that. There's also something that we should be a bit concerned about because if we weren't going to solve homelessness when literally the federal government was going to pay for it and we had empty rooms everywhere, I don't know how we ever are. 
that's something that I think that we need to also reflect on. To pick up on Rich's comment about is San Francisco doing something wrong? Rich gave you the a kind of line that you would hear, say, from the conservative media outside of San Francisco. Another line that goes with it is uh, how much money San Francisco is spending. And I don't know if you've seen those figures, but the Hoover Institution has a report. It says San Francisco spent $850 million on the homelessness, and that's 100000 a person. And help us understand what the other side of that story is. Well, I know they, they study and teach a lot of things over at the Hoover Institute, but it doesn't sound like they teach math. That is not a good way to, to determine how, many, how much money we spend. Uh, what they probably did there is that they just took the number of people who are currently on the streets and the overall spend and just did a, a basic divide. Um, the reality is that most of the money that we spend on homelessness is spent on people who are formerly homeless. Uh, San Francisco has over 10,000 people who are housed in supportive housing, and most of our homelessness budget is to pay for them. So we have to understand that when we're talking about homelessness, it's not only that we have to get people who are often very sick, often disabled, often very old, uh, sometimes have addictions, a lot of times have trauma, and getting them indoors, but then we've got to keep them indoors. And that, that costs a lot of money. Some of these folks are not able to take care of themselves, unfortunately, and we have to continue to take care of them. So, you know, there's reasons why San Francisco spends, you know, more money than a lot of places. We're taking care of a lot of people who've been kicked out of other places who somebody gave a bus ticket to and then they're here. And so we're helping them when they're not helping them. Uh, things are also more expensive here. We're a city and a county. Housing is more expensive. You know, you, you can't go and get someone a room for $500 a month here. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a you know exponentially higher than that. So those things add up. You know, can San Francisco do a better job? Use our money better? Be more accountable? Yeah, definitely. You know, just like everywhere else. Uh, but the idea that we're just burning money uh, is is not true. And the money that we spend is actually largely to house people. And you don't necessarily you wouldn't necessarily see that on the streets because when we help twenty people indoors, tragically we often see another 20 show up. It's How much of homelessness is a problem that can really be addressed strictly locally? Because you mentioned that, you know, every city in the state's got a homelessness uh, problem, but you also mentioned that people get a bus ticket to San Francisco. So is there a way in which San Francisco is really taking care of a the disproportionate share of the whole state's homelessness population or maybe even other states? I think San Francisco absolutely is taking care of a disproportionate share. Uh, and some other cities are also doing that. People come to cities when they become homeless or they come to cities for services. Uh, a lot of the people who are homeless may have been homeless for a long time in San Francisco, but uh, came here either either they they were, uh, you know, had had insecure access to housing or insufficient access to permanent housing. You know, the focus that, we're, that the city has and that the world has really in looking at the tenderloin, I think, is probably uh, the, the, the biggest uh, reflection of that uh, misguided notion that by, you know, targeting your services and concern at a single neighborhood, that somehow you can address the larger issue. Really, what's happening in the tenderloin in parts of San Francisco is that 
it's concentrated and visible there, but it wasn't caused in that neighborhood. And if you don't address the, the, the real causes of it and you don't address it where it's happening everywhere that it's happening, you're always gonna have certain places where it's more concentrated and visible. And it's gonna be harder to, to solve those, uh, solve the issue if you just focus on one neighborhood. You know, it's a challenge that I face because I represent the neighborhoods where it's a greater concentration. So I do want people to get help here and I want the neighborhoods to be safer and healthier. But I also recognize that this is really a reflection of much bigger problems that really can't be solved in a hyper-local. You know, Matt, you've mentioned the safety and there's so many issues people are thinking about, but safety in the tenderloin is another issue that's kind of associated with it. And how about crime in the Tenderloin in San Francisco? Locally, it's it's always an issue. How do you see it? Has it been increasing? Is that a significant problem? Is it greater in San Francisco than other cities? There's no doubt that people are experiencing higher levels of, of crime, particularly property crime. You know, that comes in part with the pandemic and you know certain types of interventions whether law enforcement or programming really being you know more limited and dislocated greater inequality uh you know a lot of the systems themselves are not working in ways that they did before the pandemic you if you have been arrested a bunch of times you might have found yourself in a collaborative court in some sort of re-entry program none of those things are happening uh, or they're happening at very limited levels because people really aren't able to be around each other in the same degree. And so we're experiencing that in San Francisco. People also experience crime differently when there's not a lot of other stuff going on. If you don't have a bunch of people who are in the offices and and coming outside and events and restaurants and bars and everything, you really do experience fear and bad or dangerous behavior in a more heightened way. So that all of that is happening in San Francisco. Uh, I don't think that it's more than it is in other places. In, in fact, some of the more violent crime and, uh, and, and homicides have just skyrocketed over the last few years in other cities, in, in, but not in San Francisco. San Francisco still is hovering around you know, 20 year lows for homicides over the last few years which is different than a lot of other cities. So I think we do have some issues um, and people experience them in very serious ways and they should be taken seriously. But the idea that San Francisco is more dangerous than other cities is actually not borne out by the evidence. And But people are experiencing it, I think, differently here. And certainly there's an increase in property crime. And that, that's definitely happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that raises another question, which is the in recent news, we heard that Mayor London Breed had kind of endorsed, for lack of a better word, a crackdown in the Tenderloin in order to try to deal with some of the manifestations of crime. Wonder, uh, you know, what you thought about that, and um, you know, does that reflect the, the things you've just been talking about? That, that you, where uh, the problem is more visible in the Tenderloin, or does it reflect the fact that the Tenderloin really, you know, is in kind of a, a dire position and needs a, a, a extraordinary law enforcement uh, push? The Tenderloin definitely gets a lot of focus and attention from from, pe- from people. I think it it's visible. It's near downtown. It kind of reminds people of our failures uh, and our shortcomings in a variety of ways, and so that 
leads to really a, a hyper focus on the tenderloin. You know, I, I also think that the people of the tenderloin do want and deserve safety and uh, they themselves, I think, believe that a lot of the, particularly the drug dealing that's so brazen here and some of the, you know, dangerous behavior that comes with that needs a, a much more proactive response. You know, everybody knows there's behavior here that's tolerated or allowed or even consolidated that would never be tolerated in any other part of the city. And I think that people of the Tenderloin experience that, you know, most, most acutely. All of that leads itself to say, yes, there's probably a need to have, you know, a greater focus on safety here. But most of the people in the Tenderloin would tell you, and I tell you, I live in the Tenderloin. Most days I walk outside at a police car drive, drives by within seconds. I mean, there were a lot of police in the Tenderloin. So there's also a question of what exactly it is that they're doing and need to be doing that can actually change the situation. Some of the, the experience that people have of the, in the Tenderloin right now of things getting quote unquote worse is that we've been doing a lot more and we, we have community safety ambassadors on every block. We've been more police officers, all of that. And the result of that is that they're moving people who were selling drugs from one block to another block. Mm -hmm. And so the people on the other block are saying, this is worse than it's ever been. And they're right for, for, for them, it is. And so we haven't really gotten to the point where we can are doing a whole lot more than simply moving around some of the problems. And that's how the Tenderloin got to be to be, begin with, is that people move problems from other neighborhoods to here. And the Tenderloin is the last stop. So there's no, you know, they're just moving people around within the tenderloin now. So in terms of the a crackdown or ability to actually ensure safety in the neighborhood, you're going to have to both have some level of policing that actually is doing something different and being effective. And then really getting at those deeper issues and those deeper solutions, because it, there's no pushing people from here. This is, this is where the rubber hits the road. And if we're going to solve problems, they need to be solved here. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a lot harder than what most other, you know, mo most other cities and neighborhoods, they'll have some big, we're going to do a crackdown. We're going to take this seriously. And often what happens is they just move people to another place under somebody's freeway mm. uh, where, where it's not seen. More with Matt Haney next on Stanford Legal here on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132. Welcome back to Stanford Legal on Sirius XM. We're here talking to San Francisco Supervisor Matt Haney, and we've been talking about um, homelessness and uh, crime in the Tenderloin and the way San Francisco is facing some distinctive challenges. Matt, I'm interested in one of the things you said a little while ago was that some of the problems are more visible in the Tenderloin um, and in certain parts of San Francisco than they are in most other places. And, you know, an example that comes to mind is drug use, where there is some open, um, relatively open drug use that we wouldn't see in other neighborhoods in San Francisco. Now, that's happening for some good reasons, but it also maybe raises some equity concerns for the people who live in the Tenderloin and have to put up with it. Any thoughts about that? No one should 
you know, have to walk through people who are using drugs openly, shooting up, you know, it's a regular thing in this neighborhood. And I think it is very disturbing. You know, of course, the, the bigger concern is that people are shooting up or smoking drugs like fentanyl and dying. That, I think, has gotten worse. And what has really changed in our city and around the country is, is fentanyl. And we as a city have had drug use for a long am amount of time, but we've seen over the last three years a tripling of the number of people who are dying of drug overdoses. And this reflects something that's happening across the country where there was a 30% increase in people dying of overdoses in a single year and going from 70,000 to over 100,000 in 2020. So we've also you know, got to figure out how to get the drug use off the streets inside and give people help. And then also our, we've got a national crisis of fentanyl use that as we come out of COVID, I think is, is you know, clearly the, the biggest epidemic that we're facing and is killing now more people than pretty much anything. And, uh, and we haven't figured it out, you know, for, you know, heroin and drugs like that, there was clean needle programs and different types of treatment. And yes, it was continuing to be, you know, really an awful thing that we were grappling with, but people are dying at a, at a pace and, and, and a level of fentanyl, which is 50 times more powerful than heroin. And, and I think that that's where we need everybody across the country working together, coming with the best ideas and solutions and, and investments, because it's, it's really at a scale of devastation that is unlike any other drug we've seen. You know, in the, the Netherlands, I believe, the state supplies drugs, safe drugs. I mean, that's, do, is that an approach here? I mean, we're not going to supply safe fentanyl, but I suppose we could, we could find what economists would say, a fentanyl substitute, which would probably yeah. be the heroin that was replaced by uh, fentanyl. Yeah, and essentially that's what methadone or buprenorphine, yeah. suboxone, it helps you manage those cravings. And that's, that's the, the only real effective treatment for this. And it's actually really hard to, to get. It, they, they don't prescribe it nearly at the levels that they should. There's stigma around it. So that's, I think, the direction that we should go, where we should you know, really just immediately enroll people in these types of treatments and reduce all barriers to it. I think that's really the only way to do it. And it's essentially giving them some of the same effects physiologically, but something that they can manage. And then you reduce it over time. I want to move to one more issue, and there's so many we could cover, but that's the school board. You're, you've, you've been there and done that until your, your current position. And there's a recall right now for members that have, uh, among other things, uh, favored renaming schools, including schools named after uh, people like Abraham Lincoln. And what's your position on that? Well, it was a time when people were paying a lot more attention to the schools. You know, it's one of these things where somebody can serve on a local school board and nobody notices who you are until they really need you, need you and the decision that you're making directly impact their lives. And when you're opening schools or closing schools or forcing this or that, people are going to start to know your name and watch you a bit closer. And people started 
knowing the names of our current school board and watching them a bit closer. And uh, needless to say, that didn't help their cause because the closer mm-hmm. that they watched, the more they didn't like what they saw. And a lot of that had to do with uh, the sense that they weren't laser focused on the things that were really impacting students and families most directly, which was being in virtual learning and not being in school and all the things that came with that. And so they were fo- seemed to be focusing on everything but that. And I, I do think the school board will be recalled. The bigger question is sort of how we have uh, elected officials who are actually focused on the things that their constituents care about. And when they're especially low profile, like many school boards are, and they don't do that, usually they get away with it, but they didn't get away with it this time because people were watching. The other question that we have in San Francisco and around the country is there's sort of recall fever here. And even as it's causing some accountability for people who probably deserve it, uh, is this how we want to govern where every every elected official, you know, sort of as soon as they get there, like our governor or in our DA and everyone else, as soon as they get there, they start, you know, experiencing folks coming after them and trying to kind of relitigate every election. Because, you know, I think elections should be between people, not between you and, you know, get out of here. Uh, because most most recalls, you don't select your replacement on the recall ballot. So you might not like somebody, but if if we gave you an alternative, you might like that alternative less. And I think that's <laughs> part of how the democracy works. You have a choice and uh, and recalls really don't give you that choice. So generally, we shouldn't be doing recalls, but I think this school board pretty much deserved it. I mean, there are a series of controversial things. There's the renaming of the schools. There's Lowell High School, which a lot of people are upset about. And, um, you know, they're all kind of in the mix now. And it's a little, at least for from the outside, it's a little hard to tell exactly who's upset about what or why this recall is, is gathered steam. Do you have a sense of, you know, what, what the biggest issue is? A couple of the members really had a, a common strain, which felt like a real deep disdain for the people that they represent, especially parents. And that that was a sort of a common theme with them that I think ultimately caught up to them. And, you know, look, there's an important conversation to have about, you know, making sure our schools are reflective of our diversity and updating them in various ways. But to say that we should do it while those schools themselves aren't even open, where people can't have input, where you can't bring people together. So there's there's something about this really deep failure of process, you know, mixed in with ego that that I think was their downfall. Uh, but you know, they're not they're not the only ones in government probably who <laughs> operate that way. But this pandemic, as with a lot of things, had that kind of different set of focus and and a little bit of sunlight on things that people hadn't been paying attention to. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was certainly one of them. Well, we've been talking to Matt Haney uh, from the San Francisco Board of Supervisors and and one of our grads who's put a little bit of sunlight on some of the issues in San Francisco. Matt, it's always great having you here. Thank you so much. I'm Joe Bankman for Rich Ford. And this is Stanford Legal on Sirius XM Business Radio, Channel 132.